0: Two girls. This is the first time we haven't seen each other in person in two weeks.
1: I know. We've had a lot of action together. Face-to-face action. It's funny because after we left Universal, remember I hugged you and I was like, goodbye, Sabrina. <laughs> and you were like, I'm seeing you in five days. And I was like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we did see a lot of each other. We did. Uh, it was fun. In this past month, which was really nice. It was very nice. But now we have our long haul of probably not seeing each other.
0: Yeah, because I'll be in New York for an entire month.
1: I might be in New York for my work as well for a few days. So if, oh, if that's well, the case, we'll maybe cross we'll paths. get some breakfast or something since both yes. of our schedules are probably going to be insane.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I'll be working like 15-hour days on
1: set. Whoop. Get that crafty service. Ooh, ooh.
0: I know. I'm going to gain 10 pounds.
1: This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are
0: your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hey. She's in her new apartment.
1: Oh, I love this apartment. It has so much natural light. There's so much natural light. It is impossible for my seasonal affective disorder to kick in this year. I'm convinced. (laughs) Your door opens all the way. I can actually open my door. I will say that although the building's pretty soundproofed to the outside noise, the inside noise – I was up like all night last night because there are a couple of college kids that live in this building and they were, droom, oh. droom, droom, droom.
0: that's when you go upstairs and you bang on their door and you growl at them and pretend you're possessed and tell them if you don't turn that music off,
1: I'll kill you. You know, I probably would have, but a few days prior, I ran into them in the hallway and then I heard as I had walked past and they thought, that I was out of earshot, I heard one of them say, oh, there's a lot of college kids who live here. And then I was just so happy that they thought that I was young. So I was like, (laughs) I don't want to be not cool. I can't go tell them to turn their music down.
0: You'd rather be flattered and thought of as a college student than sleep.
1: And it was a Saturday night. So I was like, Uh, Can I really go at like 10 p.m. and be like, "Hey, turn your music down"? I'm not doing anything tonight, and I need
0: rest. Yes, you absolutely can. It's and that's how you know you've gotten old. Oh well. Oh, and I'm Sabrina. Hi.
1: Oh yeah, that's Sabrina. She uh, is not sitting in any natural light. It is extremely dark in your apartment at this moment.
0: Very dark. It's still it's still sleepy time in this apartment.
1: Sleepy time in Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, Leia's sleeping, Nick sleeping. Nick really wanted to be on the podcast this week and talk about Caitlin's wedding with us, but he's too tired.
1: What? So, <laughs> he just wanted to come and report back on a wedding we attended.
0: Yeah, and he wanted to tell his ghost stories. Oh, <laughs> but he's sleeping, so he's you snooze, you lose. He's not committed to the
1: to the podcast, obviously. No, he lacks no. commitment, <laughs> and for that reason. Nick cannot be a guest on. For our
0: our commitment. He lacks commitment to something that he does not need to commit himself to.
1: Well, then he can't ask ever again.
0: No, he'll come, he'll tell it. He has good ghost stories, so we can invite him on later.
1: (laughs) So, our friend Caitlin, who's obsessed with castles, got married to yeah. her now husband, Austin, and it was the most beautiful wedding.
0: It was gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. It was so pretty.
1: It was literally saying the reception. I was like, this is my dream reception. When I think of my future wedding, this is what I think of. So I told Caitlin, I said, well, I've already attended my future wedding, so I'm sure everyone <laughs> in my life will be happy to hear they don't have to spend money and come to anything because I'm just not having it anymore. We've already gone. <laughs> How nice. How nice. Except for Bigfoot wasn't there. No, but there were plenty of other hairy, sweaty beasts at that. That's true. On the dance floor.
0: The amount of mustaches, handlebar so mustaches, mustaches too.
1: Yeah, it was so fun. Myself and Marissa and Brianna were like, just I don't even know what we were being on the dance floor. We were like creatures. We were like stalking prey. We weren't <laughs> doing real dance moves. It was very scary. No, it was fun. It was so fun. God, I love that. I made weddings. the mistake
0: of taking my shoes off and then the bottom of my feet turned black because yeah. that ground was dirty. Really but gross,
1: okay. but that's how you know you had a great time. That is how you know.
0: I was also very sweaty. Also, how you know.
1: Also, how you know. Yeah. Ugh, it was just also fun. But I, I will say, after like doing so much travel all at once, I'm so happy to just be back in my apartment and like on my couch and in my bed.
0: I know. This is my like last weekend. At home, because next weekend I have a wedding, and then the weekend after that, October 5th, I'm on a plane to New York, and I'll be in a hotel for three weeks.
1: So what? Tell us. (laughs) Because I totally already know. I'm just asking. (laughs) What exactly are you doing in New York? (laughs) (laughs) So I
0: am producing my episode of Prodigal Son, which is episode 10. Granted, I still need to finish the script, which is what I will be doing this evening into the wee hours of the morning, and yeah, I get to go be on set and I'm the producing writer and I get to like oversee things, which is absolutely terrifying. This is like, it's going to be a very big learning experience for me and I'm nervous as anything, but I'm also excited because you got to challenge yourself, right?
1: Do you have to work on the weekends too?
0: I probably have to do like revisions and stuff, but not, I don't have to be on set.
1: Otherwise you'll just be running around New York.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be some It's like a Where's Waldo,
1: everyone do an I Spy Sabrina. Where's Sabrina? that's amazing that's a fun game that is fun so future episodes will be recorded from your hotel room
0: Mm -hmm. in a similar position as i am in now but in a (laughs) nice comfy hotel bed
1: that's so fun though okay okay, sabrina let's think back to two years ago when we were starting this podcast and you (laughs) dreamed of being a writer you dreamed of being on a show that involved like spookiness and true crime and was just in Mm -hmm. that genre and now you are going to New York for three weeks to watch an episode you wrote come to life. I know. It's, That's it's so crazy. Weird. So many people <laughs> never get there. That's amazing.
0: It is crazy. I'm very excited.
1: Oh my god! You're, I think, my most famous friend.
0: I'm trying to think of someone more famous.
1: It's you. It's you. You're a Hollywood writer. <laughs> You're a star. A real star. A real star. I just started a new job this past yes, week. Yes, you did. And I absolutely love it and I'm obsessed with it. I'm so happy for you. And I told them about the podcast. So <laughs> I usually don't yes. tell anyone until... Were they on board? till they think that I'm at least a little bit normal and deserve to be there. <laughs> no, see, this is
0: a sign that you are already comfortable there. Yeah, I came hot out the gates. So <laughs> are they
1: believers? Um, I think they're all pretty open to hearing things but mm-hmm. some of them well it's one of those things where it's like a couple of them are talking about how they don't believe but then they were talking about how they're so scared and i was like so you do believe <laughs> they're just too. they're scared like i guess i just it. haven't had anything happen
0: yeah that's how most people are
1: right yeah you
0: don't believe or hesitant to believe
1: but i'm now in charge of our halloween party oh my God. I was like, yes, I've been waiting my whole life for this. This is a task I will succeed at. Oh,
0: See, that's why I'm so bummed that I'm missing like all of October back in LA because I usually host like our spooky Halloween book club, but I won't be here to host it. So I'll just have to like decorate my hotel room in, in New York and just do Halloween.
1: But you know what you get now that you'll be in New York that you don't get in LA? Fall. Real fall foliage. I know. I'm excited for that. Oh my God, you're going to be – you're going to want to move to New York. Mm. (laughs) No? (laughs) I don't think so. I've been to New York before. Um, One thing on my – so I've started crafting my October bucket list just because I like to do things during foliage season because it's just so pretty. And one of the things I really want to do – and I probably talked about it before because it's been on my list for a long time. I just haven't made it out there. But over in Western Massachusetts, maybe like hour and a half – hour and a half or two hour drive west of here there mm-hmm. is a park with like a creek or river well it's on the connecticut river uh, there's a section where there are dinosaur tracks like actual what? footprints left in the in the stone what and They're i really want to go because it's going to be beautiful just because of you know fall and western massachusetts changes yeah more quickly than the the coastal line so i really want to go and then just go put my hand in a dinosaur print
0: Wait, that's so cool. hmm Oh, wait, you have
1: to do that. I'm going to. I just need to find a crew of people that want to drive two hours west with me. I'm sure you can find people. I'll just start writing notes and put them on my neighbor's doors, like, <laughs> yeah. how do you feel about dinosaurs? How do you feel about foliage? How do you feel about the two of them together? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I bet you'll find new college friends to go with.
1: Uh, and then if anyone's in uh, Massachusetts, did I bring you or no? I went, wait, yes, me, you, and Allie mm-hmm. went. To Connor's Where? Farm. Yes, it's so fun. Okay, yeah, it's so fun. So if you're looking for just straight apple picking or just straight pumpkin patch with few crowds, this is not the spot for you. But if you're around the uh like Ipswich, Danvers, North Shore of Massachusetts, East region, then you should consider going to Connor's Farm. We went last year and it was so freaking fun. I went twice last year but (laughs) they just have everything. They have a corn maze, they have apple picking, they have a pumpkin patch, they have different food stands, they have a petting zoo, they have a little lake. Amazing. They have a a tractor ride and then they have a separate like little water barrel ride and then they have uh, apple shooters and God, everything, a country market with the best cider donuts many people have ever had in their entire lives.
0: It was really good.
1: So that's my plug for Connor's Farm because it was so awesome last year that I'm like, oh, I'm going to bring a couple of our college friends um, like Eric and Mike and Jeff. They live out here now in Boston, so I want to bring them there.
0: It's really fun, which reminds me something I was thinking we should ask our listeners to do is to send us like their Halloween traditions and email us what you guys do for the spooky season, what's your fun, spooky thing that you do, and then also, obviously, Halloween costume ideas. because Oh, yeah. This comes out September 29th, which means Halloween is a month away.
1: We should start, we did it last year in our encounters, suggesting a few fun Halloween costumes.
0: Okay, that's a good idea. We should
1: get that going again, but also, listeners, you guys write them in, and then we will yeah, report we'll, back some of the ideas mm-hmm. you guys have.
0: Yeah, just do subject line like Halloween, tradition, and costume ideas.
1: Yes. Yes. Favorite time of the year. Mine too.
0: Oh my God. Okay, I have to say before we get into our stories this week, I need to say thank you to Rebecca and April because remember how I went to the Backstreet Boys concert and I said that I was so bummed I didn't get a t-shirt? Yes. Well, freaking Rebecca and April came in and like bought me a shirt. What? And they sent it to me. Sabrina.
1: That's I amazing.
0: Cried. It it's the nicest thing I've ever ever received.
1: It's so nice. Oh my it's goodness. So nice. and they sent me a little card.
0: And I wore my Backstreet Boys shirt to work the other day and everyone loved it. <laughs> it was
1: great. Goals to work in an office where you can wear a Backstreet Boys <laughs> shirt into work.
0: Yeah. It's very casual in my life.
1: Oh, that's so awesome.
0: I know, I was very, very thrilled by it.
1: Actually, speaking of listeners, and this is a not really a segue, but we got some mail—a mail—and we have this wonderful written note from our listener Fiore, and she writes: "Dear Corinne and Sabrina and Ghost, I love your podcast. I started listening to your podcast when I was ten. My birthday oh. recently passed. Wink, wink. So I am eleven. I love it. I love paranormal things." But they rarely happen to me. Can you do an episode on how to clean and disinfect your house from paranormal stuff? Yours, Fiore. Which, yes, that's an absolutely amazing idea, especially going into the spooky season where we're going to be focused on scaring everyone. We should also talk about some of the ways that we choose to protect our our spaces. Also, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Wait, can I see that note again? I want to see it. And then, okay, so... Fiore drew She's 11. a ghost and – oh, ooh, I didn't notice this before. That's so creepy. There's like a handprint in a window and there's a candle and a planchette and a Ouija oh board and a bonfire and some peering eyes and a gravestone and a moon and a broom. Oh, wait, whoa. She's like so stacked. an amazing artist. Yeah, look at the ghost. It's pretty much an exact replica of the ghost in our – logo it's so good
0: we should post this on instagram oh it's so cute so cute
1: thank you thank you fiore we love getting things like this this is so awesome
0: yeah so nice so nice okay this is a really fun i'm very excited for this topic especially going into october in the spooky season and it's a pick from our patreon donor sammy who said she wanted us to do an episode on witches like did you know where witches ride brooms rumors started and Like similar things to that, like the history and where these stereotypes came from, which is really fun and interesting to look into. Mm -hmm. Also, I just, I have so many thoughts about witches and how horrible we are to people in history and still today, but just like the evolution of like how witches began as these wise women who were communicating with goddesses and knew everything. And then all of a sudden, men came into the world and were like, there's one singular god and all women are bad.
1: Not even women too if we look at the Salem witch trials there were men who were also. Right. Yes, put I, to death. Yes. It was just it was just a time where everyone was reacting to the fear. Right. And honestly if that were if we lived in those times right now here in America where we do this podcast half of our listeners and us together would be accused of witchcraft. Yes, I'm sure. Yes. I. So yes, I, there were men
0: who were accused, but if you looked at the percentages, it was like 80% women and then 20% men. But then if you look back in history, witches traditionally were more women or were all women. And that's just like dating back, back. And I know now that's not the case, but it was like witches started out as these women who were the wise women who had abilities that were beyond. And now today, the word witchcraft means craft of the wise. It- has been taken from several different roots of words and it labels those who have the abilities that were beyond what was considered the norm. And it's according to dictionary.com, the definition is it's a woman thought to have magic powers, especially evil ones, popularly depicted as wearing a black cloak and pointed hat and flying
1: on a broomstick. So even
0: the definition is the stereotype.
1: Which is so interesting now because I think when we were growing up, When it came to magic and witchcraft, I mean, of course, some of those cartoons and shows that we saw still had like the evil witch and the evil person Mm -hmm. in the woods, like Snow White or something. But then we also grew up with Cinderella and with like, I don't know, so many, Harry Potter where it's like we would want so badly to be that person, to have those abilities. Yeah. Harry Potter
0: definitely changed the game, I think. But even in Harry Potter, there's like the evil witches have some of the stereotypes.
1: Yeah, well, because here's the thing. Neither of us are Wiccans, nor do we know much about the practice of modern day witchcraft. But it's one of those things just like anything else in the world. Like I myself was raised Catholic. If you look at Catholicism and Christianity, holy crap, a lot of it is bad. So just with everything, there is the good and there's the bad. I think it's less about what it is and more about the person and the intentions of that individual working and Around that realm and in yes. that space, yes. But I, I'm excited because
0: I feel like doing this research. It's like I'm happy to do the stories right and tell the history and the past of witches correctly. And and I I love the idea that like female witches represent like female power. And I I just like think there's like so much.
1: I don't know what the right word is. Like there's just so much.
0: I don't know what the word
1: is. That's okay. We can skip over words. <laughs> I only use probably twelve words in total every episode. <laughs> there's so much there's so much inspiration and like
0: motivation that comes from the icon of like a female witch. You know, there's just like it resembles so much power.
1: It makes me wonder why. So if we if we say that yes, all of this is true and that women are the ones that tend to have these abilities and have more of these like psychic powers and can be in tune with earth and conjuring energy and being a little bit more all-knowing. Why? Well, they like predate like from like beginning of time and they were just, I don't know.
0: I don't know what it was, but it was basically these women who date back to the earliest centuries of human civilization and they worshiped the powerful female deities and they practiced these holy rituals and they were revered and they were known as the wise women and they would help with Fertility, infertility, they would deliver babies, they would heal, they would do all of these like magical things. Like they were the original doctors, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they just were educated in those manners. And then all of a sudden, things shifted because the Hebrews settled in Canaan. With them, they brought the male centric and monotheistic view of life, which basically it's like the laws of the Bible. And it was the idea of women who worship deities were being pushed away and translated more into the pagan practice, which is like where that shift happened. In general, women were being pushed away and viewed as evil. And like they were referring to like the story of Adam and Eve, whereas Eve was responsible for human sin because she ate the apple. And so then it was like pushing away women as this revered icon in society and making them less so. In the history, women continued to practice their healing, but they were beginning to experience opposition and repression. And then in the 1300s, the plague came and killed one third of Europe's population. And also, this is like a very, very brief history. So there's so many more details that I did not cover, but just like in a broad view. So the plague came in the 1300s. And when so many people were dying, similar to like the episode we did about hysteria and like just people latch on to... Something and they need to have an explanation for things, and a lot of the times it was like, Oh, witchcraft! So, if all these people are dying, they're like, There's evil happening in the world, who can we blame it on? And so, then they kept there's like this quote I read about how every day during this time was like a battle of good versus evil, whereas the devil was working and winning and killing so many people. A third of the population died in Europe, so it's like, I understand why you'd want to have someone to blame. So, then the Catholic inquisition began and it started to expunge and punish the people who they believe worship the devil. It was like, basically if you don't worship in the Catholic church, then you are worshiping the devil. And that's when the inquisition of against witches started. And there was a book There was a book called Malleus Maleficarum that was published by two monks in 1486 that was used to help hunt witches, and it legitimately said, what else is a woman but a foe to friendship? They are evil, lecherous, vain, and lustful. All witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is, in women, insatiable.
1: (laughs) Wow, really painting us in a bad light there. Seriously, it's so... (laughs) Can you just imagine, though, like... The just the emotions that person was going through. I just picture someone like angrily writing, like typing really loud on a keyboard, which I know back then there weren't, but (laughs) that's (laughs) what I'm picturing. a large printing press. Dear diary, I'm picturing Carrie Bradshaw in Sex in the City (laughs) angrily writing an article.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just crazy because like this book was legitimately used for. For so long, over the whole entire period of witch- like hunting witches, this is the book that they used and it was like it detailed what to look for on a woman or a person and, and how to tell they're a witch and it like accused that these women were having promiscuous sex and were dancing naked and feasting on human babies and so oh, like God. a lot of these legends and stereotypes were beginning because they were just trying to make them out to be as evil as possible.
1: It makes me wonder what things are going on right now, like here, where we live, where collectively everyone is blind to it. And in 200 years, people are going to be looking back being like, what were those people thinking?
0: Yeah. I bet you there are many, many things. Yeah.
1: Because we all feel so awakened now and everyone's Mm -hmm. talking about things and, you know, there's – everyone is – much more vocal and communicative I feel like now but what what's that one thing that none of us have realized yet
0: that having our cell phones and computers so close to us all the time is gonna give us cancer and we're all gonna die
1: yeah I figured that one out already.
0: <laughs> I don't know I mean I only read like a few quotes from this book but I'm I just I almost want to read it just to be like to anger read something you know <laughs> Anger read.
1: I never heard that. It's a new thing. It's something that I desire
0: <laughs> when I'm in New York. TGOG
1: Book Club. We're going to do some anger reads in the month of October.
0: Oh, gosh, it's just like it's so infuriating that this that this happened, right? And still happens, like there's so many accusations against people all the time now. But so anyway, the witch hysteria took hold during the mid-1400s and up to 80,000 men and women were put to death in Europe. About 80% of them were women, single widows, or women on the margins of society, or women who had like birthmarks or strange moles or like, you know, any abnormality that made someone stand out in a way, regardless of if they practiced the Catholic religion or not, they were considered a a witch. And then obviously there's a lot more in regards to the history of witches, but that was just a brief one. And today, Modern Witches still face the historical stereotype, which I wanted to, I should have done this, but I wanted to post on our Two Girls, One Goes Coven page, Two Girls, One Coven, that's what it's called, and see what the, like I wanted them to dispel rumors for us and like post about it. So if you're interested, I'll post on there and people can talk about it openly because I want to open a conversation about that. That's cool.
1: Yeah, that and we can report back. I mean, yeah. we don't really have any strict hard rules with our episodes.
0: No, that's true. We can come back to that we'll topic. We'll come back to it. Uh, but Wicca is an official religion in the U.S. and Canada, and it's not an evil religion. It's the opposite. It's about striving to live a peaceful, tolerant, and balanced life in tune with nature and harmony. It's about using the power of the universe and the mind to attract wants and desires. It's a very, like,
1: peaceful, grounded practice. Right.
0: Uh, and like you said, Corinne, everything can be taken in the wrong direction.
1: Literally everything. Everything. You can misuse everything. You can misuse And it actually mac reminds me of, of the show The Good Place. Remember when they're uh, in hell and there's that one accountant who is in charge of uh, only raiding people uh-huh. based on the weird sex stuff they do? Yeah. And he was like, I hate my life. <laughs> everything and anything can be misused yes yes
0: so based on sammy's topic request the myth about i looked up where the myth of witches riding broomsticks comes from and it is it is similar to the good place a little sexual oh wow so basically it begins with ergot which is the hallucinogenic fungus that can grow in bread and it's also the fungus that some people blame the dancing hysteria on so basically like it it's just a fungus that grows in bread and like it causes hallucinations. And so when people were having these hallucinations, they were like, what is causing this? And they found out that it was ergot, which is in this bread. And they were like, let's experiment with it and use it to hallucinate on its own, not in our bread. And then that drove them to then further experiment with other plants and find more hallucinogenic potions and mixes. And there was this physician named Andre de Laguna, who claimed to have found a witch's brew within a home of a couple who were accused of witchcraft. And they, like, went into the house to, like, burn everything down, basically, because the idea is, like, when a lot of these people were accused of witchcraft, they would go into their homes and, like, bring out proof. So basically, this couple had a bunch of different plants and herbs in their house. And there was a brew that contained deadly nightshade, henbane, mandrake, and jimson weed. And they realized that these plants created hallucinations, and they began ingesting them. But all of like the ingesting, if you ingested them, it caused nausea and like really bad side effects. And they were like, okay, well, what can we do to prevent us from having these side effects? And they realized that if you apply the plants topically, it would allow the user to hallucinate without the side effects. And so they were like, okay, the best places to apply them are anywhere with sweat glands, which is the armpits or the mucous membranes of the genitals. And- and they okay. they thought the best way to apply it was by utilizing something that was easily accessible in the home, a broomstick. So they would put the mix on the top of the broomstick and
1: put it in places. <laughs> what? Are you just describing yes. porn to me? Like, I mean, maybe it's just like the like fear
0: of like touching yourself. I don't know. Maybe that's where it came from. But they decided to use a broomstick. I mean, I'm sure there's so many other ways that you could use it, but.
1: Right. Better application technique. Yeah.
0: So they use brooms to distribute the ointments and potions, and they utilize the shaft to apply it in their armpits or their genitals, hence a witch and her broom, because you use the broom for your potion. But the flying part came into the fact that witches were making the witches brew, and then they would use their ointment-laden broomsticks to get high, aka fly.
1: So it all started because people were doing drugs. (laughs) I'm like, crazy. Yeah. People were doing drugs and then putting stuff on their genitals. And from that, we now have the stereotypical witch. That's unbelievable. It's very funny. Okay. So then the
0: story I wanted to tell, in addition to talking about the history, is of Alice Kittler, who is known as the first accused witch or first condemned witch, I guess, but in history, she's kind of like when you look up the first witch, she's who comes up. She was accused of denying the faith of Christ in the church, cutting up animals to sacrifice to demons, holding secret nocturnal meetings in churches to perform black magic, using sorcery and potions to control people, possession, communicating with a demon, and for having sex with an incubus that appeared as a man and as a black cat, and for murdering her past husbands. It's a lot of accusations. That's a lot, yeah. And her story has kind of become a legend and has morphed into a lot of other accounts. So there's some that have been dramatized and turned into folklore. But I listened to this really amazing podcast called the History of Ireland podcast. And it's just like a bunch of different stories about the history of Ireland. And it's researched through the Irish newspaper archives. So shout out to that podcast. And I also think this is kind of a more accurate, less dramatized version of her story, which is so unlike me. (laughs) Right. So Alice was born in Kilkenny, Ireland around 1263. She was an only child to a Flemish family of merchants who settled in Ireland in the mid late 13th century. And when her parents died, Alice inherited the family business, which meant she inherited a lot of money. And she was well educated, she was well off, and she had no problem finding someone to marry. So in 1280, she was married to, or she got married to William Outlaw, who was a very wealthy merchant and moneylender. And his brother was Roger Outlaw, who later became the Chancellor of Ireland. So that's important to note because she knew a lot of people in power. Together, they had two children, a daughter named Rose and a son named William, outlaw the second, who went on to become the mayor of Kilkenny in 1305 and also later played a major role in her trial. So during their marriage, royal authorities began struggling to maintain their power. So this is like kind of in the background of like society and what's happening in Ireland. And eventually William got ill and died in 1285 but then Alice was like, don't worry. There are plenty of men. And she got married again to Adam Blonde of Calan in 1302. And he too was a moneylender and a wealthy banker. And the events in this marriage were pivotal in the case against Alice in years to come because Adam Blonde also had kids before he had married Alice. And so Alice now has stepchildren. But Alice and her husband, Adam, have so much money. And the people in Kilkenny are beginning to resent Alice and their family because. They were so wealthy when everyone else was so poor. Like even the royal people in Kilkenny or like the higher statesmen were poor. And then there's Alice and her husband who just have so much money. So everyone was very envious of them. Why should Alice have more money than everyone else? And it got so bad that the authorities raided her son William's house, and they found 3,000 pounds, gold and jewels, and they tried to accuse Alice of the murder of her first husband. So they were like, Alice, you and Adam together conspired and killed William Atlaw, your first husband, took all of his money.
1: How do we know that she didn't? I mean,
0: we don't, but but so they <laughs> took her to court, and they like raided her son's house, and then she was found not guilty. And they couldn't make the charges stick, which, like, made them angry. But, like, they had no proof aside from the fact that Alice had money, which is something that they were very envious of. And then Adam starts getting drunk and he's going on a drinking spree and he dies. And he leaves all of his money behind to Alice's son, even though he has his own kids. He leaves his money to William Outlaw.
1: That's awfully suspicious.
0: Yes. But I'm going to think the best of Alice. I want to try. It is very interesting. Her story is very interesting. but. Not worth accusing her of witchcraft. So Alice and her son now ha- have like all this, even more money from her second husband who died. And of course, people are feeling the way you are, Corinne, and they're also suspicious. And like Adam's birth children are like, hey, where's my money? Like, what the heck? How come you get all of it? It kind of like settled because there's so much other stuff happening that like that was like the least of the worries in Kilkenny. And Alice in 1309 got married again to her third husband, and this time to Richard Laval, a prominent aristocrat. And again, William and Alice profited from this relationship. And again, Alice's husband died. And by 1316, Richard Laval died, and Alice had to take his family, but like, so Richard left money to her and her son, but Richard's family, like, wasn't going to give it to her. So she had to take them to court in order to get it because you're legally owed a widow a widow's dower when your husband dies. So she went and took his family to court
1: in order to get it. So it was was that, like, the version of today's life insurance? Mm, yeah,
0: probably. But then Alice got married for a fourth time to the knight John LaPere. He was a knight. So that means... Her marriage to him established her even more as a powerful person in society and gave her more protection. And granted, she stayed really close to Roger Outlaw, who was her first husband's brother. So like she has good relationships with all these people. So it's interesting that so many people were questioning her because a lot of the other family members had no issue with her. She's married to John LaPera now. He has even more protection, even more power. And then... In the background of Kilkenny, the peace is being threatened because a war was happening because the Scots had invaded Ireland in the summer of 1315 and they kept moving closer and closer to Kilkenny. And so it caused all these horrible food shortages and people were starving and dying of famine. And so there's just like, people need to make a change. And now it's like March of 1317 and people are trying to point fingers. They're like, who's doing this? And the Bishop of Osori proclaimed that the devil was at work in Ireland. And no one could argue with him because everyone was like this world is collapsing like yeah, of course it's the devil. And in 1317, Pope John the 22nd promoted the original bishop of Ossory and appointed his replacement who was named Richard Ludred. And now Ludred plays a massive role in Alice's life because He came from, I want to say, maybe from England, but he wasn't an Irish man, but he came to Ireland and he transformed the town of Kilkenny. He's like the guy who led the accusations in the trial against Alice. So Alice's husband, John LaPere, his father is becoming even more powerful and his entire family, LaPere family, is like this lawless family who basically controls all of Kilkenny. And by 1320, the town of Kilkenny was like the Wild West where violence was no stranger. And like Le Père would seek power by any means necessary, but he got power. And then when John Le Père died, so Alice's fourth husband died, but she remained very close to his family. And then when because her husband died, this is when like everyone was like, Okay, Alice, you're killing all your husbands, especially her second husband's children. Adam's children are like, you've killed all of your husbands. And so then on October 14th, an army of colonists finally defeated the Scots, which is like amazing because it ended this three year war. But as much as people were like, okay, great, this is going to be the end of our like pain, it wasn't because they were still without food and they were still starving and they still had no money. And so Richard Ledred was. Determined, and this is the bishop, he was determined to put an end to this. And he thought Kilkenny was shameful. And so he gathered the clergy and proclaimed that people were banned from practicing other religions. And that if anyone were to attack members of the church, they would be excommunicated. And then people were banned from like singing secular songs. They weren't allowed to do anything outside of the church. And they weren't allowed to like meet in bigger groups than like three because it was like, considered practicing another religion and he ordered everyone in his clergy to report to him heretics and he was like you have 30 days from right now to report them to me if you do not report them to me you will be excommunicated so basically he forced everyone's hand even if they didn't know anyone he kind of made it sound like you have to report someone to me so people began reporting even if they didn't have a reason to do so and this was the opportunity that all of adam's children and like people who were enemies to alice had like they took off took this opportunity to be like let's report Alice. So they all reported Alice of killing her husbands and profiting from their deaths. But they had very little evidence. But then because like they couldn't prove that she killed her husbands, they're like, well, then let's call her a witch. And so then they accused her of being a witch and using sorcery to lure her husbands in. And so when Bishop LaDred heard of these accusations, he was like, this woman is this Alice is the reason everything's horrible's happening to Kilkenny. She is the witch who's colluding with the devil. And he really latched onto it and was like we need to get rid of Alice. And so he was like the OG gossip basically. Queen. We should put that on his tombstone. So, yeah, so he was just like he latched onto this and he was like let's get rid of Alice and he believed and he started preaching that Alice made a pact with the devil in return for her personal reward. And this was proof that the devil was at work in Kilkenny. So in 1324, Richard Ledred was determined to prosecute Alice for witchcraft, but there were so many roles. You basically had to excommunicate someone first. And then once they had been excommunicated for 40 days, he could get the secular authorities to issue a warrant. But he was like, no, because if she's working with the devil, I can't give her this much time to plan and plot her evil doings. So he tried to like mm. go over all of the rules and he wrote directly to the chancellor. But guess who the chancellor is? Roger Outlaw. So it's Alice's first husband's brother. And so Roger oh. Outlaw is like back off to LaDred. He warned him like, do not pursue this. This is not, we are not going to support you in this decision. Stop. Obviously LaDred was like, mm, mm, This makes me want to do it more. Like the fact that she has all these people protecting her makes me even more convinced that she's working with the devil. And Roger Outlaw
1: was – oh, maybe you're going to answer this. But was Roger Outlaw – do you think that he was telling him to back off out of fear because his own brother was possibly the first victim? Or do you think he was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. She didn't do anything. Just calm down.
0: I'm leaning more towards that. Answer the second one, just because the way I was interpreting all of this is like Roger and Alice were friends, and like also a lot of these people like later ended up getting accused as well, and they still stood up for her. So it's like I don't think they were afraid of her. So Roger went to Alice and was like, "Hey, the bishop is trying to accuse you of witchcraft, just so you know." And Alice was like, "Okay, shoot." So she fled to Dublin and just like wanted to wait it out. So she was in Dublin, Ireland and her son William Outlaw and Arnold Lapierre so Arnold is her last husband's father John Lapierre's father so she has like all these people supporting her so her Arnold Lapierre and William Outlaw her son go to Ladred which is the bishop and they're like please drop these charges please stop like Alice is a good person like let her live her life Ladred refused Arnold LaPierre, who's like really high up in Kilkenny, is like, we need to arrest Richard. We need to scare him and arrest him. And so this is like the perfect example of a conflict between church and state because people weren't sure what side to pick. And the townspeople basically were like, what's going to happen? Like, it's just like chaos in the town. Real Housewives. <laughs> the the way that Ledred underestimated Alice's connections, they also underestimated Richard Ledred's connections and his ability to utilize the church for so much power. And he locked the entire clergy out of the church and He did all of this from prison. So he's sitting in prison and they're basically like, we're going to keep you in prison until you decide to drop the charges. But while he's in prison, he is able to lock the doors of the church and prevent any one of the townspeople from going to church, which basically meant that their souls were doomed. And then like no one was able to perform last rites on dead bodies, which meant that they would go to hell. And so all these people are freaking out and they're like, our souls are doomed. We need the church. Like, please give us the church back. And they were all waiting outside of his prison cell begging for his help. Because of this chaos, Arnold LePierre was forced to release Le Drede from prison because it was like, your townspeople are just going to turn their backs on you because they need the church. There's this like strong belief and they need it. And so they let LaDred out, and Ledred stands before this massive crowd who have all been waiting for him to get out of prison, and he says, the noose is broken, and I am free. I am free to prosecute the devil. And he was speaking about Alice. Now, everyone in the town has turned their backs against Alice. And Alice was in Dublin during all of this, but she got word of Ledred's release, and she knew things were going downhill. And so she was like... Oh no. And like Ledred was like, you need to come back here and answer your crime for your crimes. And Ledred was being vu- viewed as a victim. And like people all believed Alice and the devil were targeting him. And then in April of 1324, Ledred confronted Arnold the Poirier and asked him to obey the church and arrest Alice in front of the public. And Arnold refused in the public, in which was exactly what Ledred wanted him to do because now he was able to use Arnold's outright refusal against the church as proof that Arnold was practicing witchcraft as well. And then he tried to accuse every single person who was trying to protect Alice, proving that the power of the church was much stronger than the power of the state. And Alice decided to flee Dublin and she went back to Kilkenny, but like all of her allies were stripped from her Soon, she and six others were accused publicly and shamed, and she decided to flee completely. And no one knows where she went. People think England. No one's ever heard from her again. But
1: eventually – How horrible to be in a position where you are so targeted and consistently targeted, and no one's letting up, and it's beyond the part – beyond just affecting you, where it's now affecting everyone in your life. So you feel like to save everyone else – you have to just right. escape, but it didn't save everyone else and run away. That's horrible. That's so yeah.
0: She it's so horrible. And eventually, she so she gets away. No one knows where she went. Like there is no record of her after this. Like no death record because she probably escaped, changed her name, or went by someone else. I don't know. But eventually, twelve others were named in making a pact with the devil and helping Alice. And of the twelve, eight of them are women. And so,
1: oh, so it continued. Yeah, so when she left.
0: And he wow. arrested her son, and he he ended up pleading guilty in order to, like, not be burnt at the stake. And then there's this – the woman who's, like, most known for this is Petronilla de Media, and she was a maid servant of Alice's. And on November 3rd, 1324, she was forced in front of a crowd and beat into confessing. And this is the confession that, like, implicated Alice, like, 100% definitively she was a witch. because. Through this, which obviously is a forced confession, she claimed that Alice made an offering of three chickens to a demon demon that she called Robert, son of art, and that Alice cut the animals into pieces, poured out their blood, mixed with their intestines with spiders and other black insects like scorpions and magical herbs, and she was further coerced into saying that Alice boiled this mixture into a pot with brains and clothes of a boy who had died without baptism and put it in the head of a robber who had been de- decapitated and Petronella said that she had several times seen Alice's present like Alice speak in the presence of a demon and that Alice forced Petronella to talk with the demon and that she had consented to a pact whereby she would be the medium between Alice and the demon and she claimed to have seen Alice have sex with this demon multiple times and it oh was God. because of this confession that Ladred used it to sentence Petronella to death, and she was burnt at the stake on November 3rd, 1324.
1: Also, how would she see them having sex? Because
0: he appeared as a incubus.
1: Yeah, but I'm saying, why was she watching? Like, why was she there? Well, she wasn't in real life, so it's all... I know, but I would just say if I were, like, in court, I'd be like, well, there are holes here. Why is this person stalking this other person and walking?" Well, I think
0: the idea would be that, like, she was working with Alice and, like, they were having an orgy. But so the rest of the case, like, basically the entire LaPierre family was accused and charged of heresy, and they went from being the highest ranks in power to being imprisoned and dying out. And Alice's trial was only the beginning. There were so many other men and women who were killed for similar false accusations no one knows what happened to alice but there is still the alice kitler inn in kilkenny and she started it before all these accusations and she built it it was an inn that she owned and operated it still exists today it's said to be kind of a tourist trap and it has like this statue of alice as a witch when you enter but it's a really cool 13th century building and it's traditionally irish and it has a ghost that people think might be alice's But uh, they often feel, yes, the employees and guests will often feel a presence of a woman. And there's this photo that I'll post on our social media that look, it's like a group of people taking a photo. And in the background, it looks like this dark black shadow. And in the second photo, the shadow is now climbing up the stairs. So people think it's Alice. But I don't know why Alice would return to the town.
1: Unless she's there trying to protect any Future innocent people Perhaps. from being accused of the same thing Perhaps. she has. Maybe she's there as a protector, as a I watcher. Like that idea. Wow. That's so wild. Gosh, it's it, what's upsetting is that so many of these, of the like old witch accusation cases, have so many parallels, which is oftentimes it's not someone saying, right. Yes, I did that and I did this and admitting to all of these things. It's usually just some rando coming out of the woodwork and uh, pointing the finger at someone and ruining and their life. what's lives. crazy
0: is that even in this story of Alice like in retrospect they were looking at this the accusations against Alice and then they were looking at accusations of like a similar trial not not long before Alice's and the accusations are almost identical so it's like this idea that like once one accusations out there it kind of was used in every case regardless of what of the truth you know it was like oh we heard this crazy story about these people doing this one thing over in ireland now when it comes to like germany where the witches are being accused let's use that same accusation and scare people because it's terrifying the idea of someone like mixing herbs and boiling it into a dead person's head
1: this is i'm watching right now the last season of american horror story the cult yes season and it just reminds me of that playing off of Mm -hmm. people's fear
0: I mean it was so much about fear because people were dying everywhere. So it was like right. the devil.
1: Forget the all of the illness and disease. Yeah. It's all because of witchcraft. Sure is not.
0: Man.
1: I mean, it makes sense though if you think about back in the day before it was witchcraft, it was oh the gods are
0: writing down and Like they must yeah. be
1: upset. Right. Yeah. I guess if you don't have all the facts, you just leap and make some assumptions because what's scarier being fearful of the unknown or choosing something and saying that that's what you have to be scared of it's right. just basically projecting you it's a scapegoat yeah that's what it is yeah well which is awful it's
0: so much of the unknown but, right it's like the idea that we don't know what's happening so therefore it must be a higher power that's doing it
1: i mean a lot of paranormal activity is based around that yeah. too some people try to disprove it and say that it could be this or that but it's the fact is half the time we just don't know so true so true okay
0: what do you have
1: so just going off of the theme well sammy had asked like why do witches have brooms like where did that come from Mm -hmm. and so it made me think of wands and Mm -hmm. so um i kind of did the same thing that you did i picked out Someone in history to highlight, but I also wanted to talk about where wands came from. Oh, cool. Where'd they come from? Not Diagon Alley. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> That's where ours came from.
1: You know what's funny, though, is that I have a Harry Potter wand and you don't, which it seems so opposite of from what it, the natural order would be.
0: See, I have one from like way back when, so it doesn't have like the magical powers that the ones... At Universal, where you can like control things, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's back at home in New Jersey. Shoot, it's like from when the movies first came out, so it's like uh, really okay.
1: So you were original, yeah. and I only have my wand just because I told you that when <laughs> I was at Universal, I made my family all stand in an hour long wait to go through the wand selection process. I'm that- so jealous. Yeah. And my dad was like, I don't want to. And I was like, I always wait for you because he goes on rides. I don't do rides. So I was like, this is the one thing I'm asking for. And then out of the 30 people that were in the room that day, the woman who was doing the demonstration goes, you, and parts the seas and picks me. My dad goes, you got to be shitting me. He said uh, it out loud. And then the yeah, wand picked amazing. me. So Worth he had wait. to get it for me as an apology. I <laughs> I
0: told you this, but when I went with my family, I, like, was so giddy. I wore my Harry Potter shirt. I was, like, waiting. I really wanted to be picked, and they picked my sister.
1: It's because you're invisible. Well, that's true. Couldn't see you. They just saw a floating shirt, and they were like, that's creepy. Just pretend it's not there.
0: (laughs) All right. I like that, though.
1: All right. Well, wands. Wands are curious things. We all know what a wand is. We see them all over the place. They've been in cartoons that we saw growing up, like fairly odd parents and mm-hmm. uh, just a bunch of them. And then, of course, Harry Potter, they're in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the Wizard of Oz, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And wands are an energetic tool that are used to harvest and focus a person's energy or a witch's energy and sometimes they're used for casting spells other times it's for blessings etc cetera, etc cetera. but where did these wands come from so i got a lot of this information from a website called coven of the goddess as well as like wikipedia and then like five other sites just bits and pieces put mm-hmm. together So the first written reference of magic wands came from the Greek writer Homer in his books The Iliad and The Odyssey. Though the first ever wand in real life was believed to have come from Egypt, and it dates back to 2800 BC. So that's a long-ass time ago. And these wands were uh, long and kind of like we picture them to be now, just like these long sort of straight sticks. Uh, and they included flat semicircles on them. And on the semicircles, there were etchings, some carvings of like symbols or cool. mystical creatures, just some sort of picture to aid and assist the wand or to to have sort of like an intention for that one particular wand. And it was thought that these wands were used to keep evil at bay and to protect a mother and a child during birth, as these wands were often found in rooms alongside the birthing rocks. Um, so it's kind of interesting because when you were first starting to talk about it, Sabrina, you were saying that uh, like the original witches were did aid in like childbirth and were thought mm-hmm. to be like healers and stuff like that. So it's funny that the first wand was thought to be involved in the same sort of That's thing. That's so which is interesting. Safe births, blessings for mother and child at yeah. their maybe more um, vulnerable time. Yes. Okay, so the use of wands progressed and they're no longer just used for protection and for keeping evil at bay, but also they're believed to contain healing properties. So wands made their way into Europe and they appeared amongst the Celts and the Druids back in 500 BC. And unlike the Egyptian wands, which the Egyptians actually used hippopotamus tusks, so the ivory, so that's bad. Mm. Although, I don't know how they sourced the ivory, so maybe it was fine, Uh, but... In Egypt, that's how they made their wands out of ivory, but in Europe, instead of using ivory, they took wood from the trees, hmm. and instead of just taking the wood or carving it out, they waited, and either a tree branch naturally fell off, or they would wait for the particular tree's um, pruning season as to not cause sort of harm and imbalance within that's nature. Good. So it was all very thought out. Many were cut from particular trees that were believed to have a life force. So there's like this list of trees that are known to have a life force known as the, I hope I say this right, like dryad or dryad. Mm -hmm. And the spirit in the tree reaches to every single limb of the tree. And even if a limb breaks off, even if a branch comes down, whether it's pruned or it snaps or it just naturally falls off somehow, um, the spirit in that section remains thus creating a magical wand. Whoa! And then when Christianity came in and reached into these communities where wands were used in different practices, the Christians began to associate wands with evil. So they thought it was a scary tool used to transform people into animals or shapeshift themselves, like, which would take their wand and turn themselves into a different animal. Kind of like in, I don't know, I think like… Snow White or like Shrek.
0: Or the <laughs> you know? very beginning of Harry Potter, McGonagall appears as a cat and then-
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that that sort of thing stemmed from Christianity and their introduction into mm. wands. But wands continued to also be considered very medicinal and have healing properties um and they were not only used as these, you know, smaller handheld Wands, But they also have other different forms. So like a staff. A Mm -hmm. staff is a sort of wand. So the staffs were carried by medicine men. Staffs made their way also into like television and film as well. So if we think of um, like Lord of the Rings, Gandalf has a staff. I think – Trying to think of other examples. I can't think of any, but there I'm sure there are a million. Yeah. And staffs were also used to capture this energy and the power of an enemy. So in some sort of cultures, this is actually interesting because you know how you'll hear stories of when an enemy was captured, they put their head on the stick. Yeah. Like displayed it. Yeah. So some of that was actually from using that stick, using that staff. Some of it was not just to maybe be like put out the fear, like don't cross me or this is what will happen to you, but also to capture the energy and the power of the enemy and have it absorb into this staff. Oh, that's interesting. Super interesting. I never knew that before. And then there's another variation of the wand and staff and it's a rod. So this is kind of like the in-between. And it shows up in Egypt and Islam and Babylonia and Jewish history, and uh, the rod would be charged during thunderstorms or maybe under a full moon, and mm. these rods would hold the power to settle disputes or aid in childbirth, et cetera, et cetera. So there are all these different variations of what a wand is and like what they're used for. But while wands have appeared all over the world and in different countries and cultures and Amongst different types of people, the wands used today are thought to be more of an extension of the witch herself or of the person practicing. And the wand is, in a way, a way to direct energy. And it's aligned with the element of air. And similar to crystals and other materials found and sourced on Earth, the metaphysical properties of wands and wood can help focus energy and intention. So it's just like an extension of you instead of being this like ah, powerful person, you could just be like, Well, now I'm I have more intention here and I'm going to focus it and harvest it That's this so way cool. so that I can properly contain what I'm trying to do. And then, depending on tradition and culture, there are different woods that can be used for creating a wand, and you can make wands out of wood. Usually people do wood Mm -hmm. and that connects it to the tree of life, the origins of existence and the power of nature. Wow. So I was curious because I was like, well, if I had a pick of a wooden wand, I would pick my favorite tree, which is the willow tree. Ah. So I looked up some of the properties of the willow tree and- if I had a wand carved from a willow tree, I'd have a wand from the moon goddess, and the wand's strengths include healing, protection, and summoning spirits. Whoa. Okay, Sabrina, what's your favorite tree? I'm going to see if this website has info on it. Um, I'm trying to think. Are you trying to think of tree names? <laughs> I really like the bonsai tree. Nick and I actually were at like a,
0: the Huntington Library Gardens yesterday, so we were looking at tons of trees. Do they have bonsai trees?
1: Okay. No, that's not on this list, though. It doesn't mean you can't make a wand from it. Um, Do you have a second choice? A What's the Christmas tree? Like a, a fir or a cedar. Oh, cedar. You know what? This was a bad exercise. <laughs> I don't have this information. But maybe on our own time, we can all search what our trees mean. <laughs> I guess I have no wand. <laughs> this is why I have one and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to pick up no, a it's just this one website. on the ground
0: and be like,
1: this is it. Yeah, maybe it's all about intention and maybe you let the own power within yourself. Because mm-hmm. can't you cast your energy into anything and everything, perhaps? Yeah. Make that a conduit. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I don't know the rules. I actually led a, um, in high school, I did summer camps and I was like a teacher at summer camps. And one of my classes was fairy tales, witches and wizards. And we all made our, own wands it was so fun we like grabbed sticks from outside and made wands god that's a blast it was fun
1: that's a good exercise that's a good like if you have kids and they want a birthday themed birthday party like that that's such an easy exercise Mm -hmm. or like craft for people yeah set the kids up to do Yeah. yeah so simple so entertaining okay but for the story part for the the more um (laughs) person-based section of this, I wanted to look – okay, so oftentimes, like, we talked about it already in the beginning, but when you think of the history of witches, it's both frightening and then also incredibly sad. Like, we went to Salem twice and learned a lot about the Salem witch trials a couple years ago and how scary of a time that was and how everyone lived in fear, the fear of witches and also the fear of being accused. Right. And so I wanted to look at a different side of history – At one woman in particular who was a witch and her powers were actually celebrated rather than her uh, be accused in a negative way and have her life ruined. So I chose to do Ursula Southiel. I hope I'm saying her last name right. In 1488, during the reign of Henry VII, Ursula was born in... Naresborough, Yorkshire, in a cave known now as Mother Shipton's Cave. So, this cave sits along the banks of River Nid. And the day that Ursula was born back in 1488, there was a violent thunderstorm that rolled th- through the town. And it was believed that when Ursula was born, this thunderstorm was going on. And perhaps maybe that contributed to some of her powers. But Ursula was always very special, her birth was different. She was not like everyone else, and she did have powers, and it's believed her powers were with her also because of who her parents were. So it was suspected that her mother, who was only 15 years old at the time that she gave birth to Ursula, her mother, Agatha, was a suspected witch, and Ursula's father was never named – no one ever knew who he was, but it was suspected that her father was the devil himself. Oh. So, Ursula is born in these unusual circumstances on the outer banks of this one area to a 15-year-old mother alone in a cave. Oh, my gosh. And her mother, Agatha, had no friends or family to support her at the time. So, she ended up raising Ursula on her own for two years in this cave. Whoa. So, there are a couple contradicting stories. Either there was a woman in the town who eventually stepped in and And took Ursula and took care of her. Or the abbot of Beverly learned about the situation and felt very bad. And they offered to take in Ursula and raise her. And her mother, Agatha, agreed, gave Ursula over to either this group of nuns or this uh, woman in town. And Agatha herself joined a nunnery far away and never saw her daughter again because she died a few years after that herself. so sad. So sad. But, I mean... Like you were saying, so many people were dying and there was so much – yeah, it just – it wasn't out of the norm, though it doesn't make it any less horrible. Right. So Ursula is raised by either the nuns or the, this town's <laughs> woman, And when she's still very young, some odd things start happening around her. So objects start to move mysteriously on their own. There's furniture that gets shifted. Things appear in her crib. And – these supernatural beings start appearing alongside her as well. So there's this one incident, this one tale where Ursula, when she was still a toddler, goes missing and everyone's panicked and people are joining some towns. People are joining in to search the property and the home for Ursula uh, to try to locate her, help everybody find this missing toddler. And these people at the time that they were looking – came in contact with these supernatural beings who threw them around, basically attacked them. And these imps appeared in the form of monkeys. These like demonic entities came as monkeys and they pricked terrified people and just scared everybody like crazy. And then Ursula suddenly appears again. She's floating upside down in midair. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So really crazy things when she was really young. But while a lot of that seemed to happen as a child and – Actually, now that I'm thinking of it, I'm picturing Jack-Jack from The Incredibles. Yeah, wait, totally. <laughs> but like a lot of this stuff happened when she was younger and maybe less in control of her powers. Yeah. Or just like really susceptible and open and maybe attracting things that weren't intentional.
0: I'm also imagining the story of Hercules and like how they sent the snakes into his crib and Hercules like it killed the snakes. Just like these tests against a child.
1: Right, yeah. How powerful are they? Are they really authentically... Who we think they are. Right. So as Ursula grows older, everyone's now noticing how strange she is, too, just in general as a, a person and also in her looks. So her legs were twisted. Her back was bent. Her nose is very long and crooked. And she resembled what is the kind of stereotypical witch that we have pictures of that children get, mm-hmm. like their spooky coloring books, like the witch with the, you know, I don't know, the warts, warts on her nose. The,
0: like, crooked nose and – yeah. yeah,
1: so that's that's kind of what she looked like, and people considered her to be quite unattractive, <laughs> and uh, called her, this is super mean, but they called her Hag Face and the Devil's Bastard. Oh. So Ursula uh, was also described in her biography that came out about like 80 years, 70, 80 years after her death. The biography described her as larger than common, her body crooked, her face frightful, but her understanding extraordinary. Whoa. But nonetheless it wasn't it didn't make it easy growing up as Ursula. I mean, she had it tough pretty much from the very beginning. And then she was being teased by all these local townspeople on her looks. And so she decided, you know what? maybe I'll just be better off living peacefully away from. So much social interaction and yep. these assholes. Yeah, I don't blame her. So she often returned to the cave on most days. Aww. She spent a lot of time in the woods. She taught herself about the forest, about the herbs, the plants, the flowers that grew locally. And she learned how to make different remedies and potions out of these plants. Amazing. And she began to sort of make a name for herself as... Not only a healer with these traditional remedies, but also Ursula had these magical powers. And she was thought to be able to predict the future. <gasps> Whoa. So people began to fear her. But unlike many other accused witches in history, she was also highly regarded. So it was like almost I think I like to think of it as like an excited fear. Yeah. Like, this is really cool, but it's unknown to me and I don't get how it works. so I'm scared but I want to know my future. There's
0: like reminiscent layers of the Bell Witch cave. You're right. Yeah, I
1: was thinking this when I was writing it about John Bell and his family and the Bell Witch. Yeah,
0: the caves.
1: So Ursula, she starts telling people their fortunes and she makes little small predictions, but as she gets older and as she practices this, she becomes more confident in her abilities. Her premonitions grow stronger and they become more and more accurate over time. So Ursula was also talented enough at this and accurate enough with her predictions that she was able to just make a living off of fortune telling. So super successful for her. And uh, she was known, got the nickname as the Naresborough prophetess and witch. Mm. So despite her poor looks, according to others, and her unusual upbringing, (laughs) Ursula gained a ton of respect from everyone around her. And at age 24, she ends up meeting this carpenter from York named Tobias Shipton. And she and Tobias, Toby, whatever his name is, they get married and then they live kind of like a nice little quiet life together. Mm. But a few years down the road, Toby passes away as well. And they had no children. So it basically just left Ursula alone once again. But she kept Toby's last name. So she was Ursula Shipton. And as she got older, as she aged and became an older woman, she was nicknamed Mother Shipton, mm. which is why the cave is now called Mother Shipton's Cave. Okay. So while her life was relatively quiet after, you know, her upbringing and all the craziness that happened mm-hmm. then and the bullying, um, she regularly shared her prophecies with everybody. So she was compared at the time to Nostradamus, both, I think, because she had so many predictions, but also because some some of them were broad enough that they could be applied to many different right. <laughs> incidents. Yeah. So also, that's what I was thinking about when it was like, oh, as she got older, she got more accurate. But I was like, did she get more accurate or did she just – get better at wording things
0: or are prophecies more of a broad thing that like because you can't give away too much so she like is only receiving messages that are broad
1: right that's true that's very true but anyway so she became the greatest clairvoyant and witch in all of england so instead of being accused and tried and hanged she was celebrated she was trusted she was a powerful woman And unlike many of the other witches in history who were killed by their peers, Mother Shipton actually lived quite a long life, and she died naturally at the age of 73, and it was said that she foretold her own death as well in one of her prophecies. Uh, Mother Shipton told many fortunes and prophecies, and over the years, her predictions, many of them came true. Her predictions were sometimes vague, but nonetheless, a lot of them were Somewhat accurate. Uh, there's no recorded prophecies from when she was alive, but her biography came out some like 70, 80 years later and her predictions were included in her biography. Hmm. And it was published over 20 times between the years 1641 and 1700. And there's actually quite a bit of controversy over whether or not Mother Shipton truly existed in all of her prophecies because there weren't – at the time that she was alive, there weren't any documents directly calling her out during the time that she lived – Though King Henry Eighth did write a letter referring to the Witch of York, which some people believe may have been a reference to Mother Shipton. But it is believed that she predicted a bunch of different things like the Spanish Armada defeat, the Great Plague of London, the Great Fire of London, the execution of Mary Queen of Scots, and just a bunch of other things. And actually when the Great Fire of London occurred – Prince Rupert of the royal family was overheard discussing Mother Shipton and her predictions, stating that they were coming true. Like, oh, God, Mother Shipton's predictions are coming to life. And then she also predicted that Prince Edward, the only surviving son of Prince Henry VIII, was going to die at a young age. And he did. He died in his teens. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was a cardinal, Cardinal Wolsey, He was the Archbishop of York. He was actually quite upset with Mother Shipton at the time that she was alive because she had predicted that he would see the city of York, but he'd never get to enter it. And he was like, what do you mean I don't get to enter York? I am the Archbishop of York. He got all upset. And so he sent three of his friends to go visit Mother Shipton and intimidate her, you know, rough her around a little bit, like threaten her. And so they told her, they said, Mother Shipton, you must recant your statement. You must withdraw this prediction. And if you don't, Cardinal Woolsey will have you tried and burned as a witch as soon as he gets here to York. Oh, my gosh. And Mother Shipton was like, well, these things don't really work like that. (laughs) And in fact, I'm getting another prediction right now, and it's that the three of you will be executed. And so they're like, what? This isn't going the way we want. (laughs) And they go back, report back. Mother Shipton's just like, sorry, it's the way it works. I don't control the future. It just comes to me i Um, like the voice and (laughs) and then cardinal wolsey ends up losing favor with the king not long after that he's stripped of all of his titles except the archbishop of york so he could still go to york and so he's like i'm gonna go to york i'm gonna make it into the city mother shipton doesn't know what she's talking about and so he heads on over to york but when he's about eight miles away He's arrested for treason, he's brought back to London, and that is where he becomes ill and he dies, never making it to York. Oh my gosh. And the three friends who he had sent were executed, beheaded, and their heads were displayed in York. So, bad day for those guys, but I guess a good day for Mother Shipton's reputation and her predictions. Wow. There's another prediction that hasn't come true yet, though it's kind of terrifying when you think about it, because Mother Shipton is said to have predicted that the bridge in Naresborough, when it collapses three times, the world will end. And it has not collapsed three times, but it has collapsed twice. Oh. So I guess we're just waiting on that third. Wait, scary. So scary. It's very much like Bell
0: Witch, like the like, oh, doom. Right. It's all coming. So similar. An end. A
1: lot of similarities. Yeah. Except the Bell Witch did target one particular person, where I think I don't. I don't know that she had any enemies. I think it just predictions maybe came to her, and they were a bit more broad in general. Though she did predict those those guys' execution. So wow, that's um, amazing. Though she didn't cackle like the Bell Witch and say, "I poisoned John Bell. I poisoned. Right. right. He died. She seems a bit nice. She was just the messenger. But – so some of the problems with this Mother Shipton story is that there have been many forgeries over the years. So the first biography that came out on her was like 70, 80 years after she had died. So in terms of her own recorded prophecies, there doesn't appear to be any recorded from her or from that time that we know of. So it's thought that a lot of the stuff could have been changed or embellished and exaggerated. Mm. And much like Shakespeare, a lot of her work is up for debate because some of the stuff that was produced has already been proved to be a forgery. Uh, One example is there was a long prophecy that had a bunch of rhyming in it and everything. And it was thought to have belonged to Mother Shipton. And it included the line, the world to an end shall come in 881. And in 881, people were huddled around, terrified. Didn't want to leave their homes. They were like, "The world is going to end." It was Y two K before Y two K happened. Wait, eight hundred eighty one, like eighteen eighty one, 1881. Oh, you said eight eight one. Oh, I meant sorry, eight
0: <laughs> hundred. 800- like, That's a long time ago.
1: Well, no, she said eight hundred and eighty one. That was in the prediction, but it's assumed that she meant oh, eighteen hundred. But she might
0: mean like twenty eight
1: eighty one. She could. You're not wrong. Eek! We made some assumptions here in this last yeah. prediction, though. It did come out that the person who wrote that, Charles Hindley, he uh, lost his credibility because oh. he confessed to forging it oh. and writing it himself and trying to pass it off as one of Mother Shipton's prophecies. Wow. So hopefully the world won't end in 1881, though if the bridge in Neresboro <laughs> collapses once more, maybe we're all fucked. Oh, I hope not. Okay, so while not all of the prophecies are are historically accurate. And while a lot of them may have been embellished or thought to be made up over the years, Mother Shipton's legacy still extends into today. And she's a very unique figure in history, one whose life is intertwined with legend and folklore. She's someone who is super uncommon in terms of the tales and histories of witches just because she was this like respected and revered figure in history rather than being someone who's accused and has to go on defense and usually ends up being executed Mm -hmm. and her life and her predictions bleed into modern times. So there are still some things that are thought to have come or will become soon and 500 years later, talks of Mother Shipton still cause quite a stir, and you can actually go and visit the cave where Mother uh, Shipton was born. That's cool. Uh, yeah. The cave where a witch and Satan gave birth to. Her. That's our next cave trip. We should. The cave is said to be the oldest tourist attraction in all of England. Though some people are like, well, what about Stonehenge? And what about all these other mm. things? But I think it's like, I think it's the first one that's set up being like, be a tourist and come here. I think that's what they mean. Well, wow. But the cave itself is said to have some magical properties. Many people go to see the petrifying well, which back in the day, it was believed to be magic. Because if you put an item into this well under the water coming, coming through, uh, the object's if they were left there for a while and you came back to grab your object some weeks or months later your object will ha- would have turned to stone ooh but this happens naturally there's multiple places in the world where this happens it's basically like this concentration of minerals in the water and something to do with like carbon i don't know i didn't write any of it down of course <laughs> oh that's interesting what happens is it petrifies and it has this sort of Coating to it that makes it appear as though it's turned to stone but back in the day people didn't know that so they were like oh my god it's turned to stone wow but yeah it just it only contributes more to mother shipton's reputation and the legacy she's left us
0: i mean regardless of if she's real or not she's very fascinating and i just looked up her book it's like 50 dollars on amazon
1: it's because it's all the secrets to the world no
0: it's not cheap
1: nope comes at a price to be (laughs) all-knowing She's still making royalties in the afterlife on that. Good for her. One can dream. I know. Yeah, I just thought it was really cool to look at someone who, whether or not the prophecies were a- accurate or real mm-hmm. or what have you, but just at least a location where in the sixteen. 16- okay, let's say mothership did never existed. Let's say these prophecies were never real. Mm-hmm. Still, in the mid-1600s, they were talking about and writing about this really awesome woman who they respected who was a witch. Like, that was that is still cool. That in and of itself is still just so – Yeah. I don't know. Different for the times. I can't speak in these no, words. No, yeah. I need a thesaurus. It's
0: in contrast to what was happening around them.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. Because if she were anywhere else, she would have been accused mm-hmm. and possibly executed. Right. Wow. That's- She has such an interesting story. It reminds me of like people whose kids have like, you know, have abilities now. And like, at least now I feel like even still people don't really understand what it is. But like, I feel like there's more knowledge in terms of like, oh, my kids acting this way. Maybe they are open to the paranormal world.
1: Yeah, that's true. I wonder how much it has changed or do we just think it's that way because we from this podcast and from hanging out with each other have started to surround ourselves
0: with people who are open That's to this. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I think maybe that one. I don't know.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I have a story from Corinthia.
1: Almost my name. Almost. Almost Corinthians.
0: Almost your name. It's called college is stressful enough without a haunted dorm room. Hi, ladies. <laughs> I found your podcast during my pre Halloween end of summer celebration of All Things Spooky, and I was really excited to find that you not only research amazing stories, but also take listener stories. So here is one of mine. For some background, both sides of my family are said to be very sensitive to the paranormal world. My dad's family are old Irish Celts who kept a lot of their superstitions when they moved to the New World during the potato famine. My dad, all four of his siblings, and my brother and I have dreams that come true vague premonitions about our everyday life, which can be anywhere from Weeks to years away. When my dad's mom died, we covered all the mirrors in the funeral home so her spirit wouldn't be trapped. And when my uncle took pictures of my grandma in the coffin, my dad's whole family became enraged and distraught. They thought her soul would be trapped or her spirit would be angry because there is now permanent evidence of her death so she wouldn't be able to move on. It's so intense of a fear that when my grandpa died, everyone insisted that he be cremated because he was a violent, angry person in life and they didn't want to risk anything in death. Yikes. Wow, My mom's family is on a whole other level. We're old Pennsylvania Black Dutch, which just means German. And part of our tradition is sharing stories about witches, demons, supernatural creatures with our children to teach moral lessons. My mom's family first came to the colonies in the 1600s because my great-something grandma was tried as a witch in Hess, Germany but was ultimately released. Her daughter-in-law was not as lucky. She was tried and convicted of witchcraft, had her tongue cut out to keep her from bewitching the jury, and eventually hung herself in the witch's tower to avoid death by fire. Her name is inscribed on that tower, along with all the others tried and convicted. Wow. It is generally agreed that I am the most sensitive to paranormal spiritual things in my family, second only to my mom. When I was born with multicolored eyes, green, blue, silver, and yellow, gold, my mom was convinced that this was the mark of a witch, and when I showed increased sensitivity, it only confirmed her beliefs, and the story I wanted to share happened when I was in college in the early 2010s. I attended a small private liberal arts college in California, and because we were in Central Valley, we had 100 plus degree days for a week at a time in July and August, The August of my sophomore year started out pretty normal. I moved into a dorm with my roommate, who was also my best friend, and I had a weird vibe, but at the time, I assumed it was just because none of the other rooms had people in them since we moved in a week early. When people finally arrived, the weird feeling didn't go away, but I chose to ignore it. After a few weeks, my roommate noticed that our room was really cold, like you could see your breath, in August. We assumed it was just a broken thermostat, so I turned our in-room unit off and let our RA know. Maintenance came to look at it, but said it was working fine, and the room was hot when they were there, which is crazy because I was there when they were, and I was freezing. When September came, things escalated. Above our room was the living room of the upstairs dorm, and we would often hear people walking through to get to their rooms. And when Labor Day weekend came, we knew everyone upstairs was gone on sports trips but because they were all athletes, so we shouldn't have heard anyone. 11 p.m. comes around and we hear a loud thump, like someone has dropped something heavy in the living room. Then another one a little further away. We went upstairs to check, but no one was there and nothing was on the living room floor. After that night, we heard the thumps regularly. A few weeks later, my roommate mentioned experiencing sleep paralysis and having a shadow sit on her chest. She tried to scream out to me, but no matter how hard she tried, no sound came out. When she finally could move, she saw the clock on the microwave and it read 2.22. It really freaked me out because I awoke from a deep sleep very suddenly at 2.22. Over the next couple of weeks, I woke at the same time and she saw more shadows while being paralyzed. We finally managed to convince our RA that something was happening and held a prayer circle to cleanse our room of evil spirits. When we went to sleep that night, my roommate and I were in our bed and our three friends were sleeping in sleeping bags on the floor. I awoke at 2.22 sitting up in bed. I was disoriented and realized I was really thirsty, like my mouth hurt from how dry it was. When I looked over to where my friends were, they were all gone. They had all had been creeped out overnight and chose to sleep in the living room instead. When I asked why they left, the door opened to my room. My friend looked at me really freaked out and said, we didn't. It just kept opening on its own. I would shut it and then turn away and then it would open again. The the door never stayed closed after that. Though maintenance again said nothing was wrong with it. Obviously, holding the prayer circle had made whatever it was angry because things got worse. One night, I woke up sitting up on the side of my bed looking at my roommate. My bed was made and I looked as if I had never been in it. I couldn't move and when I realized I was sitting up, I felt myself being guided back down into bed.
1: <gasps> no. oh, oh th- This freaks me out. It's so weird.
0: The next morning, my roommate told me she woke up at the same time and saw me looking at her, but when she tried to call out to me, nothing happened. The next night, the door to our room slammed closed at 2.22 when three shadowy figures walked through it. The picture hanging next to the door fell from the wall, even though it was screwed in and shouldn't have been loose. The next night, I scared myself awake because I could feel my left hand reaching out for something above my head while I was laying in bed asleep. I laid awake until sunrise, feeling as though something had been pulling me from bed. I also had many occasions where I could hear myself talking while I was asleep. It's so hard to describe and infinitely terrifying. When my roommate and I left at Christmas break, we agreed that if things weren't better, we'd ask for a priest to come and help us. But when we returned in January, nothing happened. The door worked, the thermostat worked, and the eerie feeling I had when we first moved in was just gone. I don't know if my school performed a cleansing because it's a small Christian college while we were gone, or if the demon got bored without us there, but it was quiet that last semester. However, I think it followed me from place to place because my senior year, I lived in a different dorm that weird stuff happened as well. And the summer after that, I worked at a Christian summer camp and had something really terrifying happen. I have lots of other stories like the time a crow appeared out of nowhere in a locked cabin or the time a camper was possessed by an angry spirit and she wrote the burn book while sitting up in bed with her eyes closed or the time I visited the Winchester mystery house and started to lose my vision and almost passed out. Wow. I can send you those stories, too, if you'd like. We would. Send them. I thought you ladies would appreciate the weirdness that was my sophomore year, Corinthia.
1: Okay. <laughs> this was all contained, basically, to a dorm room. Yeah. Yeah. A dorm room. Yeah. It's crazy to
0: me that – I'm okay, it's not crazy to me. It kind of makes sense because we've talked about it before about how, like, dark entities like to challenge people who are very religious because it's, like, a challenge for them. And – it makes sense that they would follow her to like a Christian school and to her her Christian summer camps places that I feel like, yes. they challenge themselves in.
1: It's also interesting that her and her roommate both had things happen to them at the exact same time, and sometimes they were together in the room noticing the other, but they each had separate experiences.
0: It's it, I, to me that's really cool because it's like they're very connected, but also the entities targeting both of them
1: right but it made me feel like the entity was more in control like it was almost a fear thing to be like oh I'm gonna have them both realize that this is happening to them at the same time yeah but like one is not gonna be able to register the other and is gonna feel out of control where the other one is you know like to be like oh you might be together but I'm in control here Mm -hmm. and you don't know what's going on like I will give you two separate experiences yeah You can reach out and touch the other person, but it doesn't make you safe.
0: Oh, and the idea that she was like being pulled out of bed, like the one experience where she felt like she was being guided back into bed makes me think like she went somewhere and then this entity was putting her back in bed.
1: (gasps) That's so scary. (sighs) It's
0: so terrible. Because
1: you think you're safe in bed too.
0: Like she was sleepwalking, but was she? She was being guided by a demon.
1: Yeah. I don't like thinking about that. (laughs) So scary. I'm not going to – I'm not – where do I sleep now? (laughs) In your Brooklyn and sheets. In my Brooklyn and sheets. (laughs) Okay. I have a story for us. This is from Alyssa. It is called, My Predictive Dreams Won't Let Me Sleep at Night. Ooh. Okay. This is going to be a very long one, but a very good read, I promise. And I can tell you right now, it's not (laughs) super long. (laughs) Yes, it's 2.17 a.m. at the moment, and I'm meant to be at work at 9 a.m., but my dreams are keeping me from staying asleep. For as long as I have been able to speak, I've had nightmares, but these nightmares come oh true. When I was two years old, my mom awoke to me screaming my lungs out in the middle of the night, and after rushing to my room, I threw myself into her arms saying, planes crash, mommy, planes crash bad, they jump. Oh. My mom put me back to sleep after a few minutes of consoling me, assuming it was nothing. About a week later, the tragic events of 9-11 happened. The planes did crash bad, and many people in the towers did jump from the buildings to try to escape the fires that had occurred along with it. When I was three, I told my mother that Papa is going to go to heaven after he meets the baby. What baby? She asked, and I told her the one in her tummy. She hadn't told me that she was pregnant yet. And my dad's grandfather, Papa, was in excellent health at this time. But seven months later, Papa was very sick, and my weak old baby brother was being kept away from him so he wouldn't get infected. I begged my parents Uh to bring him my brother to Papa, repeating that Papa was running late. My parents reluctantly took him, and the man was absolutely overjoyed. He passed the next morning. In 2014, I predicted the deaths of both my baby sister and maternal great-grandfather in the same dream, which was filled with the sound of a heart monitor, almost like background music. And they passed two weeks apart that December, both from heart issues. Months after my high school graduation, I had a dream that a girl that I knew was going to be shot once in the back of the head by accident, but I could never see her face. And soon after, a girl that I graduated with and had talked to a few times was killed by a drive-by when a stray bullet hit her in the back of the head last year i had a dream that my grandmother was dying and the whole family was there a little boy that looked like my aunt yet she only had daughters ran up to me and i instinctively called him jackie the next month my grandmother passed very unexpectedly and my aunt announced her pregnancy i soon discovered that She was pregnant with a boy, which is a rarity in my family. He's the first male cousin out of 11 between my mother's siblings. What did she name him without my mentioning my dream to her? Jackson. I can often tell a little bit ahead of time that one of my dreams are coming because I get jittery, sleepless, and paranoid of everything. I've been feeling these things over the past couple of days, and I have a feeling I do not want to see what's coming next when I do fall asleep. These dreams are so damn vivid and chilling and absolutely traumatizing. Oh, no. I've adopted horrible sleep problems, I've gained weight after stress eating, and I've overall just let go of myself, my mental and physical health tearing myself apart over everything that I dream. What if I overlook something important in a dream? What if I pay oh, what if oh, I pay so. attention to the wrong details? How am I supposed to help people with the things that I see? I'm a fucking wreck. This runs in my family. My mom's maternal grandmother was a white witch who had similar dreams to mine, which she passed down to both me and my mother. My mother's aren't quite as common or as frightening as mine, but she's still been a great help for teaching me to forgive myself for ignoring the signs that I'm given and self-medicating myself into a decent night of sleep. I'm working on handling it. And bettering myself, wow. but it's so difficult to find professional help when your issues are grounded in something outside of scientific knowledge. Either way, thank you if you managed to read this far. And I absolutely love the podcast. Keep up the good work, Alyssa.
0: Alyssa, I am so sorry you have to
1: go through this. Yeah, because this is something that we've it's talked so about. Hard to have to see before with like dreams and premonitions. It's how she's going through <sighs> what we've asked before, which is. How yeah. does it affect you to know that you might know something, but you don't have enough of the details or any control? Right. And I know easier said than done, but
0: Alyssa, none of it's your fault. You can't blame yourself. It it's not your it's not on you. Yeah. That's a huge responsibility and that no one's asking you to take it all on yourself.
1: It makes me wonder why these things are the case. Like why do we get premonitions when we don't have the control to change them? Because it just seems cruel and unfair to know things. I know. No things that are bad. It'd be different if she just knew maybe her aunt was going to have a a son named Jackie, and she'd have her first male cousin. Right. But all of the other ones are quite tragic and happen to people close to her.
0: Yeah, it's all her family, and yeah, I I'm curious though. I I because I, I I imagine having that ability and is hard to find someone to like help you through it. I feel like our two girls, one coven page. Maybe people could help, or people who have similar experiences can talk through it with you.
1: Right? Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's so tough.
0: And the like idea that she can't sleep because she knows that something's coming.
1: Something's coming. I know because it's it's awful anticipation to think, since so many of the dreams have been so traumatic and so filled with like death of those around her. It's like you don't want to go to sleep because you don't want to know. Oh. what's going to happen next but at yeah. the same time i do wonder if maybe she is getting these messages and she's knowing these things so that she can be of assistance in those final moments so like for example right. if she hadn't known that papa needed to meet the baby he might have never met his grandson that's
0: true he was running late it's that's like it's sweet because clearly he was supposed to die before right and it was holding on just to see. So instead, her grandson.
1: her interference in that situation led for her brother and her yeah. grandfather to meet each other in the beginning and final moments of each of their lives.
0: Yes. There is a lot of good in these as well.
1: Yeah. It just it, – <sighs> it I understand that it feels like a burden to have all of that.
0: Yeah. And to like figure it out for yourself, and especially at such a young age, starting so right. young. I know. Yeah.
1: Premonitions are scary. Yes.
0: Well, if any of you have premonitions or are witches or practicing witchcraft, we'd love to hear your experience and your opinions and your stories. Or if you have any ghost stories in- at all, just email them to us at two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com.
1: We have a variety of ways to support us. You probably know the drill by now. You can tell everybody about us, especially during the spooky season. That always helps, word of mouth. And then also reading and reviewing on iTunes is huge because that's what keeps us towards the top of the charts and helps other people find us on their own when they're just perusing.
0: Yeah. We have social media and we have merch and we have Patreon if you guys want to support us through Patreon or just buy merch and then wear your... Rep a, Rep our podcast and tell everyone about it and join our pyramid scheme.
1: <laughs> Perfect. yeah, that's all.
0: Quick shout out to Eric Foster at Upfire Digital for
1: editing this episode. We appreciate you and we will see you on, on the other side. side.